This morning, I want to talk about something a little bit different. Two weeks ago, John preached on a passage in the book of Esther. He actually taught on Esther chapter 6, verse 1. And he explained some of the circumstances around one night. The Bible says that night. One night when the king couldn't sleep, he stayed up all night listening to the book of records being read to him. And I know that some of you are newer believers, and we have said clearly, wait a minute, let's not try to figure out the Old Testament right now. Let's stay over the New Testament. Let's get our identity straight. Let's know who Jesus is. Let's know what he said. But it doesn't mean that not the whole Bible is for you, but there's just a timing sometimes for things. And so John pointed out how that seemingly insignificant fact just like he talked about in the offering, something seemingly insignificant, that insignificant fact literally changed history that night that the king couldn't sleep, one night. And John knew, you know, that y'all were told, let's hold off on the Old Testament. So that's why he didn't read from the passage, because he knew that the leader of your group said, hold off. So he was just trying to sort of paraphrase it without letting you go to that particular passage. And it makes sense that y'all are stayed in the New Testament. But last night at a wedding at River Oaks Country Club, which was quite swanky, a man came up to our table, and my husband, Easy, was sitting next to me. And he said, Easy, Easy Jones. He goes, you got me to read the Bible for the first time. And he said, I came to your Love You Houston meeting that you had for men, and I was just from the Catholic Church, and I never read a Bible in my whole life. And you said, hey, you need a Bible, John, and you need to start just reading the words in red. So y'all are told in the whole New Testament, he just told that man the words in red. And I don't know if y'all's Bibles do it, some of your translations, but um, the words of Jesus are in red. So all that man read was the words in red. And let me tell you that today, with God, insignificant things can make a big difference. That man started a ministry. It's called Bridges to Life. It is in every prison in the state of Texas. So far, 80,000 prisoners have gone through his faith-based curriculum, and it's a means of healing victims and bringing restoration to offenders. The words in red. So y'all getting the whole New Testament. This man just got the words in red, and look what he did. And so I'm expecting big things from this group over here. And, <laughs> you know, in, in 1980... I heard a marvelous teaching on the book of Esther, the book of Esther that John preached that one verse from. And in 1998, and I took notes. I was four years in the Lord, and I took notes, and it was a wonderful woman teacher teaching on the book of Esther. And I still have those notes today in my file. In 1998, before some of you even existed, um, I pulled out my notes, and I added some of my own research, and I taught a three-part series on the book of Esther at this church. And I was actually going to start that today, but I, I felt like the Lord said, hold off. And I'm like, why? And he said, start with something else first. And I said, okay, so I'm going to give you an assignment so that we'll already be a little bit ahead. Everybody in the room, read the first two books, two chapters of the book of Esther before next Sunday. Two chapters. Two, you can, we're going to do the forbidden Old Testament. Okay. Only the two books, the first two books of Esther. Is that okay? Okay, Alicia, just... Just a, a little hop. We get a pass right here. Okay. Uh, two books, but then we're going to talk about it. Well, really, I'm going to talk about it to you. And so instead, we're going to begin with something else from 1998. You know, the gospel can stay current, and it has stayed current for thousands of years. One thing that we've taught people here 
and we try to abide by it, we don't always, is preach the gospel and share your convictions. Preach the gospel and share your convictions. Now, I've heard people do the exact opposite. And I mean, back in the day, I heard people do a three-part series on why you shouldn't be watching TV. And I'm like, but I'm going to. And then later, the same people go, we can use TV as a means to get the gospel out. And so, see, they're trying to preach their conviction. What they were convicted. I've heard people talk about, you know, how many times a year you should fast. The problem is Jesus doesn't say that in the word. And so if you're convicted, you're supposed to do that. Good, do it. But don't preach it to me like it's the gospel. Preach the gospel and share your convictions. Now the word has power and what you say gets in people. And so I had some people that were feeling guilty because they had a TV in their house because this man shared his, he preached his convictions. But the teaching that I'm getting ready to share with you today, I've actually, see what you say, people can repeat. And it, it has a, a life, and it's not always a shelf life. It just continues on. So I've actually heard Alan quote from this teaching in 1998. Now, he probably couldn't say, oh, that was Lena's XYZ teaching on such and such a date in 1998. But what I said got in him. And then, I, and then I've heard it come out of him. And then I've repeated pieces of it during communion and during other teachings that I've done. And so all through the word, there are patterns and there are principles in God's word. And there's... The stuff that's not in the book, we shouldn't be preaching like it's the gospel. But today I am really blessed because my personal, heartfelt, I shall not be moved conviction lines up with some stuff in the gospel. And I love that. Don't you, don't you like it when, when God agrees with you? Okay, okay. <laughs> now he's trying really hard to get us to agree with him. But most of the time, we're, we're going, God, will you please agree with me? And, and it, it really needs to operate in the reverse manner. But God is a God of order. Order. Anybody who knows me knows I'm an order freak. I love order. I love visual order. If I'm sitting down for dinner and one of the kitchen cabinets is slightly ajar, I can't eat until we close that cabinet. Okay? It just distracts me. It's just clutter is distracting to me. They say that some successful people need visual order. My husband was much more successful than I've ever been. And when I first met him, his house was not in order. Okay. <laughs> and so when we preach or teach or minister, we can go along three lines. We can have information and talk to you about facts and give you some knowledge. We can have inspiration where you get really revved up. Uh, John inspires us all the time. Uh, we can have impartation. So body, John, some impartation. You just feel it go into you and you feel the Holy Spirit all over you. So you have information, inspiration, and impartation. But there's a place for all of them. That's not an ascending level. Like one is better than another. And so today I'm going to major on the first of these three, just information, but not just for the sake of knowing, but knowing in order to bring change, okay? Knowing to bring change. There were two trees in the garden. We're not, that's in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Genesis, but we're not going to talk about it much. So there was the tree of knowledge and the tree of life. And see, religion majors on the tree of knowledge. But when you have relationship, you know it's about the tree of life, but yet we don't want to disdain knowledge because some knowledge brings life if you know how to apply it. See, if you know how to apply it. And so we need balance in our lives so that we don't just love to worship or love to pray or just love his presence, but we don't know anything about the Bible. I heard about this worship leader once, someone that we sent out, we ordained, and they got hired on as a pastor of a church, and the worship leader had been there a long time, and after a short time, the pastor found out that the worship leader didn't even believe in the virgin birth. And I'm like, what? And then I heard about another worship leader who didn't even know that 
Paul was actually once Saul. And so, see, we can love God's presence and be able to sing and, and, and fall on our face because we feel, but we don't know anything about the Bible. And so there's got to be a balance. The tabernacle that actually, somebody said it today. Who's, did, or did I just hear that? The tabernacle was a structure that was in the Old Testament. It's all talked about in the book of Exodus. I love to teach on it. We won't do that anytime soon. But it was a tent of meeting. It was a place of worship for the Israelites. Like we come into this church. Well, that was their church where they would come in to offer sacrifices, to have relationship with God. And there was a prescribed manner by which all that happened. Throw it up there real fast, Dan. And then we'll take it down in a minute and I'll bring it up again. This is a little diagram of the tabernacle. And so you had an outer court over here on the right, and that's where people could come in. There was an altar, and they could do their sacrifices and a laver where they could wash. But then there was an inner court where things got a little more intimate. And there was the table of showbread, and all these things symbolized something. But see, where God really was was this third part behind the veil, the Holy of Holies. And so, and, and so when we um, come into worship, you know, sometimes we just feel like we're, we're here. God, you're there and we're here, but we love you and we're coming into your presence. But then we get a little closer and it gets more intimate. And then there are times when the Holy Spirit just comes and he overtakes us. And we feel like, whew, we're in the Holy of Holies, God. This is right where you are. But see, we can't come into the Holy of Holies without the blood of an innocent lamb. And see, here there's a blood of an innocent actual lamb, but Jesus was our actual lamb whose blood was shed for our sin. And so all these things in the Old Testament, we call them types and shadows. They represent, they're symbolic of something that we actually have that's real for us. And so it doesn't mean that it didn't happen like that. It was real, but it also symbolizes something. So I'm getting ahead of myself. But the foundation in this tabernacle took the longest to build. Foundations take a long time to build. My husband used to build office buildings and apartment complexes, and he said, the deeper you go with the foundation, the higher you can go with the building. So the foundation is important, but the foundation is also the most costly to build. And so it's important to have a good biblical foundation. And there are orderly patterns, orderly that I love, patterns that I notice all throughout scripture. And well, you'll find them everywhere. And so we can take something simple. So we're going to do a few things with Esther when we go there. But I want to get you acclimated to what we're going to do by doing it a little bit today. And so we are going to take something simple. We're going to take the number three. Three. Just the number three. God works and moves in ways that are not formulas. They're not formulaic. But yet, you will often find there is an order and a pattern to them. A pattern to them. Even in emotional healing, when I counsel or minister to people, I'll just be listening to them talk and something will go, er, it, there's something out of order in the pattern. Something didn't feel right. You watch people and how they behave, and you notice that certain times of year they get depressed. You notice that when they're around certain situations, they react a certain not right way. Okay, you'll start to notice patterns. And so some patterns need to be pulled out of our life, and some patterns would behoove us to take on. A, my husband does not go a day without praying Dale Gentry's prayer and reading his Bible. That's a good pattern. See, that's a good discipline. And so there are patterns we need to get let go of and patterns we need to incorporate into our lives. So with God, there's an order and a pattern to many things. And studying the word of God, somebody once said, and I'll use their line, is like panning for gold. In the 1849 gold rush, did you study that in school? You know, there were people that, that left everything to go pan for gold. This was their chance to get rich. And some men would look down and they'd take what they could find right on the surface and they had got a little something. But others stayed and dug. 
And there are some things even in the word you have to dig and you have to go a little deeper. And it's there, you get something on the surface, but there's something more for you if you stay and dig. And so there's things beneath the surface. And so these shadows, types, symbols, representative type things are what I call the things beneath the surface. You know, John is very good sometimes at telling us what the Bible doesn't say. Now, I don't mean he's making up stuff, but he'll go, Hannah had a son. He was named Samuel. She had other children, but we never hear of them. So evidently, they didn't do anything for God because they're, you know, I'm like, whoa, I never even thought of that. And so there's things like that. Now, John taught it a marvelous teaching. Didn't y'all, did y'all love it? I heard it. Thank you for recording it, Vic. John goes, I didn't know it was recorded. I go, this generation secretly records, takes pictures of, <laughs> and sends videos about everything we are doing. All right, and so I go, Vic recorded it, and it's really great about relationships. I've been in a relationship with Easy for over 45 years, but I loved it. And so uh, no matter how old you are, if you want that, Dan can send you the John Ted Talk. So just ask him for it, and he'll give it to you. He'll send it your way. But in the book of Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, the words set in order are used over and over and over again. But what's interesting is once everything got set in order, the glory of God fell. The glory of God filled the whole place. And so when we follow God's orders and we do things according to his pattern, the glory will fill our life. And we'll find an ease about things that maybe we didn't formerly have. In the book of Kings, even kings were admonished to get their houses in order, get their kingdom in order, get their, the, all the people they ruled over in order. Once, Dale Gentry, who's prophetic, he's a wonderful, prophetic, well-known speaker, man of God, uh, who's prophesied many things to us, and most of them have come to pass. Some were still waiting, just a few. But in 1989, Easy and I were to church service. He pointed us out. And he began to prophesy to Easy, and he said, order, order, order. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Okay, because I'm the order freak, and Easy's not. Before we got married, we took a personality test, and it would rate you on need for different things, need for this, need for affirmation, need for order. I was 99. Need for order, Easy was one. All right. <laughs> Opposites attract. All right. So the need for order was very different in our life, but because of his lack of need for order, he could look at chaos and tell you what to do with it. He could look at a field, just a field, and I just see horses and hay. And he goes, you could put a building here. You could run streets here. We could put a parking lot there. It can seat about this. Like, he has this real estate developing building mind. And so he didn't, it didn't have to be orderly for him to be able to think like me. But once he got it all built, I could keep it perfect. I could just keep it perfect with my order deal. And so... God told Easy, though, order, 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 because he wanted him to focus on one thing and not many things. And that is when he was pushing us, sometimes God will have to nudge you, uh, toward ministry because my husband wanted to stay in the business he was in. And see, there are times we have to do things decently and in order, but what does order look like? What does order look like? Order is letting God set the tone, letting God set the timing, and letting God direct the trajectory, the direction you're going to go. See, it's really relinquishing. It's really letting God be in charge. Order is when we quit doing it our way and we say, God, not my will, but yours be done. And so in 1977, 77, I'd been born again about a year. I was reading through the New Testament, 1 John chapter 5, and I read verse 7 and 8. And it said, there are three that bear witness on the earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood. The three agree as one. And I'm like, whoa, ooh, that's heavy. 
And I'm, there was some, it just jumped at me. So God can speak to you when you don't exactly even know what he's saying. And it was like the spirit, the water, and the blood. Those words just, they kept going in my head. You know how we'll sing a song on a Sunday and then all week long it's in your head? These three words stayed in my head. And I'm like, okay, God, I need to know what that means. I, I, need, I need more on that. And see, this is how you dig. And so for 10 months, I began to research everything I could find that would shed light on more of what this scripture was saying. One scripture. One scripture. From that research, I got the basis of my blood covenant teaching, my tabernacle teaching, many other things that I had taught for 10 years, okay, and still do today because of 10 months of research because once God put it in my heart, I didn't just drop it. But yet, in that 10 months, I could not get clarity on that scripture, but I got lots of revelation on all these other things. And I learned that when a spear pierced his side on the cross and blood and water poured out, the blood represents a life given and the water represents a life received. The church was born when that water came out from his side and there was all kind of symbolic things even in the New Testament. But eventually I got my answer and I learned that that letter from John was written to refute an actual heresy that was going on at the time by the Gnostics. G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S, look it up. It's historical, actual, and true. The Gnostics, that Jesus, they were trying to say he was not truly God. And they were trying to say that he was not divine. And that he became divine only for a time. Who makes up this stuff? You know, like cults. And that before he died, then the divinity left him, okay? And ultimately, meaning his blood, the shedding of his blood, was not any different than if you or I died on that cross. So they were trying to totally refute the divinity of Jesus and the power of his shed blood. They were refuting God's very plan of salvation. And so John is saying, no, no, wait a minute. There were three that bore witness on the earth that he was God. The voice of the Father when he came up out of the water. The Holy Spirit descending on him bodily. And his very word himself. Three. There were three that bore witness. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And so... He is the son of God, he was telling these people. And so the Bible also talks about out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a thing be established. So John said, okay, I'll give you three. See, your little heresy over here doesn't hold water. And so he was trying to refute it. And that's what that scripture meant. But there's so much richness in each one of those words. And so he was establishing truth, the blood, the water, the spirit, three. The number three, triune. Three in one. Trinity. God is a trinity. Three persons in one. Time. Time that we live in is divided into three parts. We live in time, right? There's past, old time. Present, now time. Future, time yet to come. Space is divided into threes. Longitude, latitude, altitude. Length, breadth, and height. Matter comprised of atoms, protons, neutrons, electrons. Water, H2O, three atoms, two of hydrogen, one of oxygen. Water has three forms, liquid, solid, vapor. There's threes all around you. I think God is big on threes. All right. <laughs> but he likes fives and sevens and some other numbers too, but we're not talking about those today. And so if you pull any factor out of those things I just listed, the thing doesn't really exist in, its, in, in the way that it really is. They, they're not still really what they are, and you can't separate them. God said he would make man, make me and you, in his image. He's three, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. I'm three, body, soul, and spirit. Your soul is comprised of three, mind, will, and emotions. In the tabernacle, there were three rooms. 
Did you sing, take me to the room and heal me? Did you say room or root? When you were singing prophetically, I thought I heard room. I'm just going to say room. Take me to the room and take me to one of these rooms, God. Three rooms. Take me to the outer court and heal me. Take me to the inner court and heal me. Take me to the holy of holies and heal me. Just take me, God. See, any room you put me in, if you're there, I'm going to be okay. Any place he puts me, I'm going to be okay. And you know what I've noticed? Years ago, people would come in at the outer court, and we'd have to know everything about God. And, and then maybe after a while, little by little, we would get more acclimated to him. And, you know, at first I couldn't even, I just watched people sing the songs and wondered why they cried when they did it, because I didn't feel that. And so I was sort of in the outer court, and I was a little bit far from his presence, and it took me a while to get enmeshed and immersed in his presence. But I've noticed with y'all, y'all come right into the Holy of Holies, and you experience his presence. But guess what? It doesn't mean nothing back here. <laughs> is unneeded. And so you start there, but let's go backwards and pick up some things and add them to all that you have so that you'll have a right foundation in all that God has for you. And so there's the outer court, the inner court, and the holy of holies. In the Bible, it talks about the growing process, the blade, the ear, the full shock of corn, threes. Pattern of threes signifies completion. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, may the God of peace sanctify you fully and completely. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved. You are saved because of the blood, because of the water, and because of the spirit. The Israelites were saved through the same process. The blood on the doorpost. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. When he sees the blood over our life, there's no judgment on our sin. The water of the Red Sea that they passed through. Y'all went into baptism and came up out of the water. The spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the pillar of cloud and the, the pillar of fire that led them. The Holy Spirit leads us. There's types and shadows all over the Bible. I don't have time to go into all of it. Let me see how fast I can do this. The gifts of the Spirit come in threes. There's motivational gifts. There's seven of them. There's ministry gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And then there's the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. So there's three groups of gifts. Put up my gifts. You have it up there for me? Yeah. In the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, there's groups of three. Three are the power to say. Three are the power to do. Three are the power to know. There's a lot of threes all through the Bible. But when God says, build it according to the pattern, a great result will come if we do it his way. The fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers in Ephesians, are set in the body not to lord it over you, not to, not to, to be your bosses, but to equip you for the work of the ministry. It says, for three reasons, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. So God told Moses how to do certain things, and he couldn't do those things any other way and still get God's result. Now, we talk sometimes about not one word of God will fall to the ground, but you can trample underfoot a word that God gives you. See, on God's end, he'll hold up. Now, what are you going to do? And so there's three things that God requires of you. In the book of Micah, Micah is not just a name of your friend, or Rodney and Brianne's son. The reason he's named that is because he, it is a book of the Bible. And so in the book of Micah, there's three things that God says he requires of you. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, you can find a picture, a type, a shadow of Jesus in every book of the Bible. Every book of the Bible. Jesus is all over the book of Esther, and his name is never mentioned. You can show forth Jesus without ever saying his name. 
And so he's in every book of the Bible. But read your two chapters for Esther for next week. But you cannot disregard any word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, even if that word is a number. Is a number. My mom's funeral was a week before last, and I shared a story about how when she was first born again, she was the, I'll, I'll end with these stories, we'll be through in about five minutes. When she was first born again, we thought she was crazy. We were used to just religious church. We knew God existed. We knew he died on the cross, but we certainly didn't have a relationship with him, and nobody heard from him, and they didn't talk with him, and they just hoped when they died they were good enough that he wasn't going to be mad at them. And that was all we knew. We never had a Bible. And my mom got born again and started talking about Jesus. And we were like, she is insane. And I would time her when, and see how long is she going to do this. I would be on the phone at my house. My dad did not like it at all because before my mom had been first place in his life, and now Jesus was. And he got knocked off a throne. And um, that was not what his choice was. And so he would come in, and my mom would be having prayer meetings, and people would be praying, and he would just start cussing at him. Okay? And so he just... <laughs> And the, the persecution was intense. And my other sister would come in after smoking pot and try to walk by, you know, without the, the people at the prayer meeting smelling her and her boyfriend. And so we just had all kinds of things going on. And my mother said, Lord, I need help. I called and he answered. I, I sought him. I sought him and he heard me and he answered. So she went to him and she goes, Lord, I need help. Tanny, that's my dad's name, is, is angry. The girls are thinking I'm crazy. What? And she goes, I need a word of comfort. And she had a living Bible, just a living Bible, paperback. I have it now in my house. And she goes, tell me something, Lord. And so as a new Christian, she just opened it, and it fell to Ezra chapter 6. Ezra chapter 6. And it said, the temple will be complete on February 18th. February 18th was my dad's birthday. It was March 25th, the day she got that word. She had 11 months to wait, and she held on to that word for 11 months. February 18th, the next year, 1977, my dad surrendered his life to the Lord. So you can trust God even if he gives you a number. We were remodeling the sanctuary and, um, at our old location. And we didn't have enough money to finish all the building that we needed to do. But we had a trailer that we had used. Trailer is a, a poor word. It was a mobile soundstage with a platform and speakers and lights. And you could fold it out into a 16 by 16 stage. And we could take it across town. And we had used it in our Generation Jesus outreaches and stadium events. And we knew that we were not going to do things exactly like that anymore. And we needed to sell it. But we needed the money for the, the, the renovation that we were going to do of our, our enlarged space. A bunch of people thought they were going to buy it, and then they just backed out. And I said, God, when is that thing going to sell? And he gave me a date. And he goes, by March 30th, whatever, March 29th or 30th, it's going to sell. And I'm like, how? March 30th, we had a signed contract for $39,500, which is $70,000 in today's money. And we used that to renovate the rest of the church for the space we needed. When we wanted to enlarge our space, the people who had it and still had a lease on it told us the amount they wanted. And it was large. It was more than we can afford. And I prayed, and God said, offer them X, Y, Z amount. And it was a fraction of the amount. And Easy, who's in real estate, said, no way. I go, I heard from God. See, if you hear, if you hear from God, it can transcend normal things. 
See, build it according to my pattern. My pattern doesn't always look like your pattern. It may, it may offend you rationally. It may not seem sensible. It may seem foolish. Now, I'm not saying just do foolish things, but if you know you heard from God, and then we'll teach you about how you hear from God. But he gave me a figure, and, and, and everybody goes, it's not going to happen. I go, I'll do it. Wasn't even my forte. This wasn't even my thing. And I wrote him and I said, we will offer you this much. And they accepted it. And we got, we doubled our space for a pittance, just a fraction of the money that it should have cost. I've negotiated rent for this building before by a number that I got. And I walk in and I know the number God told me and they tell me it's not possible. And before we walked out, I got that number. Okay, every word of God, even if it's a number, you can trust it. He heard my prayer. I sought him and he answered, I can trust him. I can trust him. He is in every book of the Bible. But there's a timing for where we should go when. And, but next week, we'll go to the first and second chapters of Esther. Is that a deal? That work for everybody? You'll read it? Father, I just thank you for every person under the sound of my voice. I thank you that we trust you. We will come to you, God. We will make our requests known to you. And, Father, I thank you that your ear is inclined unto our prayer. And your, your ear is not hard of hearing. And your arm is not short and that it cannot reach out and save. And so, Father, we look to you. We trust you. Thank you that you are building trust on the inside of us. You build trust by these things that we come through. Even things that are hard when we obey you, it's one more step of trust. And so, Father, I thank you that we love you. We love your presence. We love your word. We love everything about you. Work in us this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.